Today Kingdom Culture TV welcomes Feline Cayetano, a Belizean screenwriter, photographer, and librarian, sharing culture and her new film, Afiini. Welcome Feline Cayetano to the Writers Forum. Welcome to the Writers Forum with Kingdom Culture TV. My name is Valerie Adams, and I have a wonderful and special guest here today, Miss Feline Cayetano. We're going to hear all about beautiful Belize on today and all of the work that she's doing there to affect her culture and to affect the kingdom. Feline, how are you doing this afternoon? Greetings, Valerie. I am well. I am so glad to be here with you. Thank you for the invitation. You are so I'm so excited to have you here. I know that you're doing a, a lot of wonderful things around photography and production and film and spoken word and books there in Belize. And most importantly, you are a librarian. You are a librarian yes. for the National Heritage um, library there in Belize. Tell us how you came into that that role as a librarian. Well, my mother, if you have my mother tell it, I've been a librarian since I was about three or four years old. My parents are teachers. And so for birthdays, for holidays, just as regular gifts, yes, I had toys, but I also had a lot of books. And so I would share these books with the neighborhood children and tell them what the books were about. I would read to them. And it was um, kind of a no-brainer after a certain point when I was going through college. And college, the first one that I attempted to go to, it didn't work out. You know, I had the, I was looking at majoring in psychology. Then a few years later, I said, okay, let me, let me try this college thing again. And I said to myself, you know what, where can I be for the next, you know, 25 to 30 years of my life? Where, you know, most people like the, 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 you know, average people would say the beach, you know, <laughs> not me. My, my third place has always been the library. And so I said, okay, well, whether I'm cleaning the library or I'm the top administrator of the library, I want to be in the library. So this is uh, when I just decided to get a degree in library science. So I have a master's in library science and my concentration at the time was in administration. But when the time came for me to find a job, I looked at Belize, my birthplace, and the post that was open was right here at the National Heritage Library, which is the place where everything by and, by and about Belize and Belizeans, this is where it's all kept and safeguarded and made available to the people. Wow, wow. So you're right there with the national history and the heritage and everything, all oh, everything believes. I love it. It's, it's so it's so amazing how uh, you know our passion can can put us in places that uh, places of fulfillment. I would say. Um, okay, not uncommon that you would write books 
as a librarian, right? <laughs> you can't get away uh, from it, right? Come again? I said you cannot get away from that, correct? Not really, not really. The the I I would say that possibly that same spark in me that enjoyed the different stories. I I, I didn't want to give my whole, whole life story out of it, but I, it, I, you know, it, the context is required. So born in Belize, to parents who are teachers, but I was raised by my grandparents in a small Garifuna town called Amriga. And in this hometown where I was raised, I was, you know, doing everything that children do then in the 1980s, you know, playing in the sand, going to the beach, going to the river, um, climbing trees, you know, everything you know and um then at the age of 10 i moved to the states with my parents who had already migrated so when i moved to the states it became kind of uh just such a culture shock it became something that just made me i would say introverted because here new people new context so i did a lot more reading and a, a lot a lot more libraries in my hometown, there was a small library. It was literally just one room inside the town council. And here, here I was in LA, and there were about three different libraries close to where we live. So they had a children's section with all of these books. And so I would go to these different libraries and just read out all the, the children's uh, collections. And that made me love stories and storytelling, even more so than the animated stories my family would tell. And then, I decided to start, you know, what came out of me first were poetry, you know, or poems, and then short stories eventually. Wow, I love it. I love it. I know that you're the author of the Belizean Nail Soup, Crossing Bridges, you do spoken word, evolution, and poetry time capsule. That's the name of your poetry, some of some of your work. And um so it's not surprising that books would come out of you as a library, as a lover of the library. How did you fall in love with photography? Photography was a similar thing that came out of the lack, I would say. I saw that my family who would come from the States, you know, would, would they would come and they would bring their camera and take pictures of us. And when they returned the next year, they would have these pictures now printed. There are only maybe two pictures of me when I was under the age of four. And so I was always fascinated by this idea that we can freeze a moment and, and share it. And so when I was able to, from the, as soon as I could, I would you know, have a camera and take pictures, take the huge panoramic pictures. I would take all types. and. And it, I didn't really take photography that seriously as in, let me see how I could upgrade my craft and upgrade my equipment until I had a phone, an iPhone. And it was really annoying at the time that the iPhone didn't take good pictures at night. So I was annoyed by that. And then eventually I lost the phone. And I not necessarily miss what a phone does, the ability to communicate with people. What I missed the most was the ability to take really good pictures of certain events and document things and, and you know capture these moments and so i invested in a in a camera whereby i could take some high quality pictures and be able to 
at times, you know, share those as mm -hmm. well, mm -hmm. those and also monetize it. So that is how photography I really got into it because I could see here is what my eyes saw and I was able to then share that with other people who appreciate it. Great, great, great. I, I love it. I love, like, um, you know, I'm an author and we met, we met through some NFT projects, through Clubhouse and just different things. And we talked about authors, NFTs and how, how are we going to maximize on this opportunity? And so I know that you have a lot of, um, a lot of work around um, photographs and NFTs. Talk a little bit about your NFT project that you have right now. I think it's on OpenSeas, and then you have another project that's um, that's out right now. I think that project is Calumet. Is that correct? On Calumet? Yes. So on OpenSea and Calumet, I have some photos. There's a VR gallery. I have a link tree, by the way, link tree slash Belene. And the first thing that you would see there is a VR gallery. And the VR gallery has only the open sea work. And I thought it was cool that I had pictures of the open sea of fishermen in Belize city, up the coast in the open Caribbean sea. So I said, okay, that's what I'll do for Belize at 40, which is basically dedicated to the 40th anniversary of Belize's independence. I will put these photos there, Belize, you know, open sea, sea, the sun, sunrise. I love sunrise and sunset. They really, I would say that with sunrise and sunset, they have, as well as writing, been away from been away from me to to just be calm and to mm -hmm. enjoy nature and peace and you know connect with the higher powers and myself. You know, so boom, here I have these photos and. The open sea collection has those. Okay. Okay. What I'm gonna do, um, I'll share some of the uh leaves at 40. I'll share some of the open scenes. But I also want to share your um Afiani, your faith okay. project that you're working on is supported by the National Institute of Culture and History on the Commonwealth Foundation there in Belize. Talk a little bit about your project as and I'm gonna share a clip Spirituality. 
yes, in the spirituality, a single culture. Um, talk a little bit about that. Okay, so I am from an ethnic group known as Garifuna. And Garifuna, we are a mixture of our bloodline, our history is both African and South American indigenous. After years of migration between Africans and the South Americans, most of them, you know, met in the Caribbean in that way, pre-colonial, you know, and also colonial, that connection to place. And so what is known is that when the Europeans reached or would go to St. Vincent, they were always pushed out by the, uh, these ethnic groups they called Caribs. And so they categorized these ethnic groups. They called one set the yellow Caribs, they called another set the black Caribs. So the history that stands right now says that in the 1600s, there were two sets of people in St. Vincent and the Europeans came and also possibly when it comes to the origin of the Africans, there's the history that says Africans came during the time of enslavement on some ships that got shipwrecked. Now, there's also a history, a speculation that says the Africans came on their own prior to that. The point is the Europeans met a group of quote unquote yellow and black Caribs who were integrating. Here, there were some black Caribs who were on their own, some yellow Caribs who were on their own, but these two people, they were together, they shared a bloodline, they shared a history, they shared culture, etc. The Europeans wanted the islands. And when I say Europeans, I'm talking about the French who wanted St. Vincent, and then later the British, they actually got control of St. Vincent. We're now looking at the 1700s. In the late 1700s, the British won administration of St. Vincent and fought with our ancestors. They won. And so they shipped us off the island of St. Vincent to the island of Roatan off the coast of Honduras. From Honduras, we made our way to Guatemala, to Belize, to Nicaragua, and then from there, the US, and at, some folks are also in Spain. So, we, Garifuna people, we have our own language, our own culture, our own spirituality, our own beliefs that have now been syncretized with these Europeans we have met. The Europeans, meaning the French and the British on the island of St. Vincent, and as well the Spanish who we met during those colonial times in Honduras in and in Guatemala, as well as Nicaragua. And so here you have one set of people who are now sprinkled across multiple countries. So we are a nation across borders. That's the best way to explain my ethnic group. Now, when it comes to our spirituality, there's no church that we go to. There's no uh, handbook that's given to you when you're born. It is really just family by family. We observe and respect our ancestors. Now, of course, with the, uh, the encounters with the Europeans, we have different people who are in different religions. You know, uh, 
we were coerced into religions. We were forced into it in a way that said, you either adopt this or you will not be able to go to our school. You will not be able to get a job. You know, certain things were, were either limited for us to step into or limited, limited for us to advance in if we didn't hold on to those different religious uh, ideologies. Now, there are and continues to be uh, a lot of varying groups that say you cannot practice your your native, if you will, or traditional spirituality and also be a member of our church. And so this is what my story, faith, this film is addressing. It's addressing what is happening right now where you have someone who has gone through different religions and is now at the place where their ancestor is calling them and saying, hey, make sure you remember who we are. Make sure you remember your traditional spirituality and culture. And this is what plays out. I'm showing how it is that here you can have a woman who is in the hospital and a pastor is praying for her. And at the same time, here you have the folks who are traditional, you know, wearing traditional clothes, doing the traditional song and dance to help bring healing in the family. Mm -hmm. that, so that's, that's powerful. That's powerful. Yes. That speaks to culture. That, that speaks to the culture now and that speaks to the culture then. But it also speaks to the, the culture of the future because we're going to always need, need our ancestors. We're going to always need to know our heritage and our roots and where we came from so that we can affect the culture, so that we can bring the cultures together um, in this day and time. So I really like that. I, I really like that analogy, um, not forgetting where you came from not forgetting your roots, not forgetting your heritage. I like it. Yes. So our, the way our spirituality works is that there is a, a spiritual leader or uh, there are multiple leaders, so to speak, who can be that kind of middleman, if you will, between us and the ancestors or to create that space for us to communicate with the ancestors. This can also happen on its own. There are some people who are, you know, our media medium can serve as a medium for the ancestors to speak through. And so these are, are some of the things that kind of certain religions, you know, they demonize that type of communication with the ancestors. You know, they, for us though, if we get a dream in which an ancestor visits us, it is as real as if the ancestor, you know, came in, in the flesh. So there's certain things that based on their belief, their religious bodies, you know, they, it's uh, completely opposite. Well, 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 you said something interesting. So would you consider um, that prophetic when the ancestor comes in a dream? Or would you consider that prophetic when the ancestor speaks to you um, would you say medium or channel? Some some cultures believe it's channeling the ancestors. Some cultures believe it's a medium. But if you have a dream, would you call that prophetic or do you believe in the prophetic? Yeah, those those both things are what happen with us. And I also show those that happening inside the film. Because uh, if you think about it this way, if 
if you think about it this way, just that, that here we have this old tradition, this old belief, this, you know, pre-colonial way of life, mm -hmm. ways of life. Mm -hmm. And this is what has kept us and, and helped us through all those attempts of genocide and colonialism and, and erasure. And so it's always like, okay, so we did not have your religious structures at that time. And we made it, yet we made it through all of these journeys, all of these, you know, uh, rejections and, and again, attempts at genocide. And here now, you are coming with something new. And this something new is, it, we cannot reject our ancestors. You know, they have gone through so much. And also we have seen how what they tell us comes to pass. Right, so you, right. You, yes. You, yes. So you have a dream. And then the dream says, somebody's about to have a baby. We don't know who's going to have a baby. <laughs> and then boom, a couple weeks later, what do you find out? Such and such is pregnant. Right. Right, right, right. Okay. I love it. I love it. So I have a question. I know that you're working with Belize and um, just doing some things there with with the community and support. How how important is it to be um, be uh, a shift, uh, be able to shift the culture uh, for the kingdom of God for the kingdom for the kingdom, I would say, only because we're in a time where there's nothing new under the sun. So um, just as, you know, there's divide with racial divide and um, just ethnic groups and just different things, how important is it to um, bring cultures together so that we can have these kind of conversations about what the beliefs are and how we are so alike you know, what you just said to me was, was so, it wasn't like, uh, it wasn't far in between, but someone may interpret it as something different. How important is it to bring culture together? Wow, this is probably one of the an ongoing preoccupation that we have here at the library. Belize has multiple ethnic groups. We have three sets of Maya uh, we have the Garifuta, we have the Mennonite who are German, Germans, we have the Mestizo who are a mixture of European and, and uh, indigenous folks, you know, definitely Creole, um, Afro-descendant folks, as well as Garifuna, I think I, I may or may not have said Garifuna, Chinese, it goes on and on. But with these major ethnic groups, we know, we know about each other basically on a surface level, but not necessarily the, the cosmology, not necessarily the full history of each other to be able to, through our own eyes. You know, it goes back to just the legacy of colonization. My mother is in her 70s. A few weeks ago, I asked my mother, I said, Mom, somebody's asking me for a poem, a Belizean poem. So when you, when, you were, when you were in school, what Belizean poems were you reading? She said, no, we didn't have, we, we didn't, we weren't reading anything by Belizean back then. We were reading 
about the UK. We are reading their poets. We are reading their literature. We are reading everything, their histories, really. And so that actually went on even up until the, I would say probably the 70s, 80s. You know, it's only now too that we're, we're becoming more conscious in that way where there are more textbooks that speak from a Belizean perspective. And even still, because the publishing industry is still getting on its feet, it's still maturing, most of that work comes from the outside into Belize, not produced inside and out. And so when it comes to understanding each other, we are the ones who have to create it, to produce it, to share it. And that work is, it, it needs more support for that to happen so we can all understand each other and see ourselves and each other from our own perspective as opposed to through the colonizer's eyes. And uh, like again, through also that lens of division. Mm -hmm. Perfect, perfect. I know that you have a poem that you uh, wanted to, that I want you to share. I know it's Black History Month. Um, we're celebrating culture, we're, we're celebrating history, but we're also celebrating future, um, the future of the culture, because we have to always remember, but we always have to make sure that we mark the time that we're in, because when our, when our children, our grandchildren and others look back, this will be a Black history moment that we make when we bring cultures together, you understand? So please share your poem uh, or your poetry around heritage. Yes, I'm going to share this poem called Time Capsules. And um, this poem is one I wrote because I was thinking about, about how, how do you compress your history in, into digestible points, you know, like, which is what I kind of did earlier. <laughs> and, and, that, and you did really well, as a matter of fact, you did really well. <laughs> I've had about 20 years. <laughs> you did. You did really well. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so here we go. It's called Time Capsules. You look at me strange when I tell you my purpose. What makes the Garifuna so special that we should retain distinct attributes and traditions, abstain from miscegenation, and keep our children conscious even after migration? I say, we are time capsules. In us, the creator deposited the DNA of feet that have danced on South American mountains, legs that have carried small bodies to rites of passage ceremonies, knees that have braced tirelessly on Nile River ships, thighs with strong muscles that have contracted and extended on the desert excursions, hips that were the gates to life under the equatorial sun, bellies that distinguish people, food, from animal food, lungs that have inhaled forest cornucopias, arms that have cleared miles of trees for exodus before fabbing, fingers that have created the highest pyramids, faces that look like my grandmother, grandfather, mother, father, sister, brother, cousins, niece, nephew, children and grandchildren, faces that look like mine. That's the end of the poem. And I wrote that in August of 2005. Wow. Wow. I love it. I love it. I know that you're published in um, 
Caribbean and uh, Latin American journals, and um, you have a, a lot of wonderful, a lot of wonderful uh, heritage and culture that you're sharing. Um, one last question: In this world of technology, what do you think about the um, obsolation of the, the actual physical book, the library? What do you think about, um, I know people are so techy now. They want to read the digital books and they want to, um, they want to have it fast and get the fast access. What do you think about the obsolescence of the library? I don't believe that that's even possible. I, I say that because, you know, there's a saying that when an elder dies, a whole library dies, right? So whether the book is a physical book or the book in the mind, I don't know if you, you read it as I did in school, Fahrenheit 451, right? The, the, mm -hmm. the story is still alive. The stories are still alive. And as long as there are stories, there are books. And, or, or again, the medium is, is not important. But one thing that I do know, as a book lover, as a book collector, right now, I need to actually build a whole set of shelves to accommodate the amount of books I have. But we will never, no one could ever, you know, uh, be able to say that they is that there's and or or again, the medium is is not important. But one thing that I do know, as a book lover, as a book collector, right now, I need to actually build a whole set of shelves to accommodate the amount of books I have. But we will never, no one could ever, you know, uh, be able to say that they is that there's a place like the library where you can go to borrow a book and then put it back for somebody else to enjoy. And that is actually part of the, the whole love of reading is not only reading it, but also sharing it with somebody and saying, this is what I found in this. Now, me last night, almost every night, in fact, I fall asleep listening to some audiobook. I don't really read physical books anymore. As much as I said, I have all the shelf with all these books. Most of those books, I would say most, I would say about 30% of them I got them physically, and then because I knew I could not physically read them, I just, you know, with children, with life, I, I, uh, I moved to audiobooks. And so I can consume more of the knowledge. That's what it was for me, it's a kind of efficiency. Now, but the library also gives me access to audiobooks. You know, they're different vendors who serve you in that way. They're different apps that serve you in that way, give you access to audiobooks. So it's still engaging with content that people have to create, that people have to research, that people have to write, except now it is consumed for me through my ears. And uh, thank heavens, because uh, these days I've joined the Four Eyes Club. Me <laughs> 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 too. Yeah. Well, thank you. I, I love it. I love it. Thank you so much, Celine Cayetano, for stopping in.
from the beautiful Belize and sharing your heritage, sharing your culture, and uh, and just letting us know how you are uh, shifting culture and kingdom right there where you are. I love it. I love it. Um, tell us where we can find your work, um, how we can follow you on the social media platforms. All right. Thank you, Valerie. It has been a pleasure as well from my side. Definitely the easiest way is Linktree slash Feline. There you would see the links to Instagram. My Instagram name is at Urban Garifuna. I have a Twitter account, which is at Belize Librarian and um, OpenSea and Calamint. I use my name, Feline, user slash Feline, or just the name of the app slash Feline. So I'm, I'm very excited about the possibilities in the metaverse. I'm, I'm not, I have not yet minted my poetry as NFTs, but that is definitely the next step. Definitely. So I, you know, I appreciate you for and applaud you for taking that step to as an author, because as we know, the market right now, the uh, there's a, it's really a visual culture when it comes to NFT. And so you're, you're really a pioneer. So I, I'm looking at you to see what you're doing and how you're doing it. Thank you. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Well, thank you. And um, definitely uh, appreciate that. It's, um, you know, we have to keep, we have to continue to bring the awareness to the culture that not only that, that when you write books, then you have the graphics and the visual. And there's so many aspects to your book that you can share um, with your audience. So thank you. I appreciate that. Well, thank you. And this has been a wonderful, wonderful time here at Kingdom Culture TV, the Writers Forum. Thank you so much, Miss Belize Cayetano from the wonderful Belize. I just gave it a new name, Belize the Beautiful, because I just I just feel so much culture. And I just gained a lot of knowledge just in your conversation and in your sharing. So thank you so much for coming to the Kingdom Culture um, set and just being a voice for your culture. Thank you. And um um, if you have um, any, any, anybody want to get in touch with her, the best way is Instagram, Twitter, all of the above. And we can definitely, um, you can definitely connect um, and see how um, you can support this film. I can't wait until the film is complete and we can actually say, oh, Valerie, click on the link or fly to Belize. We're doing a grand, we're doing a premiere and, uh, you know, just. When the, when the time is right, we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. So thank you so much for coming in and you have a wonderful day.